Hello, I'm Alex Amon, and I am your non-binary host to The Art of Asymmetrical Warfare. This is the third behind-the-scenes episode, and today we'll be taking a retrospective look at Season 2, Central Asia during the Russian Civil War. First, I want to say we just published our 50th episode. Yay! And it's also the final episode of season two, which is why this episode is going to be a retrospective. I have to admit, I never thought I would get to 50 episodes. I mean, I love talking about asymmetrical warfare, and I love talking about Ireland, Central Asia, specifically Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. Um, I would love to talk about Poland someday, and Algeria. I'd love to talk about the Arab Revolt. Like, there's all these things that I want to talk about. But I didn't really expect to get such a strong response from my listeners and to get so many people interested in this very niche topic. So I'm very excited I made it to 50. I'm very excited and grateful for all of your support. And I really just want to to make this podcast better and better and to start offering education through other formats. So like TikTok, doing the shorter videos, going to YouTube eventually working in more puppets because why not right i want to have fun puppets are fun doing some more infographical type of information especially on instagram just trying to spread the information that i'm sharing through this podcast so um yay 50 yay end of season two i'm coming back to central asia but i won't be sad to leave the jadids and alash order for now although i'm excited to go back to ireland i love talking about ireland before we do our retrospective we have to do the making history segment And I really just have two quick asks and then one bit ask. So the first quick ask is, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Montana, um, but they have silenced Representative Zoe Zafir, who is the only trans representative in Montana. They cannot talk. So there is a petition to Speaker Regier that says democratically elected voices must be heard. So I ask you to please sign that petition it looks like it doesn't matter if you're from Montana or not. We're really just trying to support, show that Representative Zafir has our support and that we want trans people who have been elected to office to be able to do their job and we want to still have a democracy. So that's the first quick ask. The other quick ask is to support the Kalam Project. The Kalam Project is a non-for-profit led by young volunteers to provide for struggling families in Afghanistan. And they are having a fundraiser. And so if you please donate to help the people in Afghanistan, I'd be really grateful. My big ask is that this week is the National Library Week. And what does that mean? So what that means is that this week we're supposed to be celebrating our libraries and, you know, giving them all our love. But in the world that we live in today, especially in the United States, libraries are being attacked by all sides. There are tons of books being banned. There are LGBTQ people who are not who are seeing their books being taken off the shelf. Libraries are being shut down. White supremacists are crowding library boards. They're going to open forums and just attacking librarians. Librarians have been getting death threats. State governments are threatening to defund libraries if they're quote unquote woke. Like there's this whole war against libraries right now. And so I am part of an organization called For the People. It is a leftist library project. What we're trying to do is that we're trying to organize the people of the United States to help support our libraries and to fight against fascism. And so this week, what we're asking you to do is to to take one action this week that will help support libraries. 
And some of those actions include visiting your local library and asking if they have a friends of the library group. Find out what this group does and decide if you want to join as a volunteer. For the People has a flyer called 10 Ways to Get Involved in Your Public Library. Check the flyer out, do the 10 steps if you can, but also just print out the flyers and share them in your community. They have a lot of resources about how to fight foot bans, how to organize against foot bans, and kind of where we're at right now in terms of how pervasive the foot bans have become. So research about foot bans and figure out how you can help fight against them. You can subscribe to the Book Riot's Literary Activism Newsletter, which is all about protecting libraries and protecting freedom of speech and books. You can do research into your local town council, city council, county board, state reps, to see if they are thinking about passing an anti-book ban resolution. So, for example, in Illinois, legislation is considering um, making state grants libraries dependent on local governments having a written policy prohibiting book bans. Does your state or does your city or does your county ha- um, have similar legislation? If it doesn't, For the People has a great resource on how to uh, call your representative and convince them like, hey, we want anti-book bans. We don't want books to be banned. We want to prevent this. And the best way to do that is to make a law. Once you do all of that, For the People really needs help for their library board data database. So this will be the first nationwide database that will capture all information in terms of library boards. So by the time this database is done, you'll know where the library boards are, you know, what states and cities have them, how to run for them, you know, are they appointed, are they elected, um, who's funding them, how long the terms are, who your members are. It's supposed to be this big informational database that has all the information you would ever want to know about a library board. So right now they need help gathering all that information. So you can sign up. Um, you can either provide information about your local school, local library board if you have it, or you can sign up for like a, a, a batch of libraries that we still need to get information on. So um, I'll provide a link to this page that has all this information in the description. And then finally, I mean, obviously get involved with For the People, but you can also find anti-censorship groups. So if you are creating an anti-censorship group, let For the People know there's a form you can fill out and For the People will share that information with other people who are interested in anti-censorship groups that live in your area. Um, if you are looking for an anti-censorship group, Book Riot has a great list of um, several anti-censorship groups around the nation. And I'll provide a link to that as well. Um, so after you do everything on For the People list of activities, you should go to Unite Against Book Bans. They are also doing a special event for National Library Week. On April 24th, Unite Against Book Bans is declaring Right to Read Day. And so these actions you can do all week or you know beyond, but specifically they're asking on April 24th, they're asking for us to check out and read a challenged book and then share your thoughts about that challenge book through social media. Um, make a plan to attend your library and school board meetings. They have so much information. They break it down really easy about like, what do you need to know before you go to your school board. Um, important things to consider. What should you bring? How should you prepare? They, d- they get really detailed about what you should do if you're going to speak at your library or school board meeting. And then... After you do that, they also have a section about writing a letter, and they give you a lot of information about how to submit a letter to the editor of your local newspaper, as well as how to write your elected officials and asking them to protect um, libraries. 
Finally, they have report censorship. So if you know that someone is trying to challenge a book or ban a book, Unite Against Book Bans has partnered with the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom, and you can report these attempts to ban books through United Against Book Bans to the AOA, and they'll help fight those challenges. You can also, you know, get involved with United Against Book Bans. And then finally, they have um, information about organizing a protest or community demonstration, and then giving money to the Merit Fund, which supports librarians facing employment discrimination for defending intellectual freedom. So plenty of things to do um, this week to support your libraries. Um, I could ask you to do at least one of those things because it's so important right now to, to come out strong for our libraries, for intellectual freedom, for freedom of speech, for books, for people having a right to learn or read whatever they want. And now, time for the retrospective about season two. So this season was an amazing experience. I've learned so much, not just about Central Asia, and the Russian Civil War, and the Jadids, and Alashorda, but also about making a podcast, about being a historian, and about covering a topic that is so expansive, so different from anything else I've ever covered before. So it was amazing, and I'm really proud of the work that I did, Um, but there are definitely things I could have done better, and definitely lessons that I've learned. Some of the things that I really love talking about this season, I really like talking about the Basmachi, it was very interesting to see how historians cover the Basmachi based on when they're writing. And I talked about this a little bit behind my during my other behind-the-scenes episode when I talked about how I pick out my sources. But it was really interesting to see coverage on the Basmachi during the Soviet-Afghan War and then how the Basmachi, the coverage of the Basmachi resurrected again during the U.S.-Iraq and Afghan War. Um, and it was interesting to learn about how involved Afghanistan was with the Basmachi movement and how tense relations were relationships were between Soviet Union and Afghanistan. I think everyone can tell that I love learning about the Jadids. I love learning about the Alash Orda. I love grappling with the complexities that was state building in Central Asia during the Russian Civil War. I found so many interesting historical figures that I just want to know more about. Some of them, you know, Tuar Riskulov, Abdurah Fitrat, Fezula Zhojev. Zhojev particularly is interesting, and I do regret that I didn't do a specific bio episode on him. Because I feel like he was a bit of a bastard, <laughs> to tell you the truth. I don't know why I'm always drawn to those types of people. But he's, yeah, he's just a really interesting figure. And so I do regret that there are not as many English sources about, like, Riskolov and Fezula and and Fitchat. Um, Hopefully someday there will be more translated into English, or I will learn Russian and or Uzbek and or Kazakh. One of my big goals. And I found it really interesting, the struggle that the Soviets had with being communist and also in some ways trying to engage with a nationalist program in Central Asia and trying to work with the the indigenous state actors. They were more accommodating than I would have expected, at least initially, like during the early 1920s. I do hope to come back to this subject. I'm hoping more research will come, you know, be translated into English. There's a lot of research is happening right now in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and I really just cannot wait till I can 
engage with that research, but also because I've learned so much about how to craft a narrative this big. I think some at some point I will return to this specific period of time um, to either cover subjects that I missed or to um, cover subjects better or to share new information. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoy this, this, this season. And I love the region of the world the season introduced me to. Like, I, I, I really love Central Asia at this, after doing this, this season. And I've read so much amazing literature that has come from Central Asia. And I keep finding more books that were written by Central Asian authors that are being translated into English. And it's just really exciting. And I'm starting to dive into the music and the food. I have a couple of cookbooks that have been translated into English. So it, I just, I'm just really excited about having a new region of the world to learn about um, and new literature to engage with and new music to listen to. So this was a really, really cool formative season for me. Some of the lessons to take away from this. So I think in one of my first episodes in the season, I said that the Russians of war was really big. <laughs> and it is. It is ginormous. It is a ginormous war. And I knew that going in. And I knew that the Central Asian civil wars were big. I don't think I had a proper appreciation of just like how big until I started diving deep into the research and I started getting a better appreciation of the Kazakhstan and the Emir Bukhara and the Emir Kiva and Turkestan and then oh yeah we have Turkmen will become Turkmenistan at some point but they're more connected to Transcaspian civil war and the Kazakhstan is connected to Turkestan and the Emirs but it's also connected to the, connected to the Serbian civil war so, um, like, I was, like, starting to get a better sense of, like, oh, wow, this is a really big, wriggly mess with a lot of tendrils that are going all over the place. And then those are just, like, only a few peoples that were affected. Like, I have mentioned this before. There were the Aziris, there were the Tatars, there were the Kipchaks, there were Jewish people of Bukhara. There's so many other people that were affected by the Civil War that I just didn't have the bandwidth to cover. Um, and so, looking back on this season, I think, one, and this is what I'm going to try and do with the Irish Civil War, one, I did a lot of research beforehand, but I need, but it was more of the concept of, like, okay, I need to understand the basic structure of the Central Asian Civil Wars and the Russian Civil War. I think with the Irish Civil War, when I do my research, I'm already, I'm going to do it with the purpose of, like, okay, these are this is how many episodes I'm gonna have. This information needs to go into this episode. This information needs to go into at that episode, and make it have a little bit more structure, and like know right off the bat how many episodes I'm doing and exactly how they're gonna be broken up. Because with the Central Asian Civil Wars, I had this general picture, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna talk about the Alash Orda, and I'm gonna talk about the Jadid, and I'm gonna talk about the Basmachi, and that should be like a couple episodes. And it was only when I was really digging deep into my research and really breaking things apart. I was like, oh, okay, the, the Halash Order, they're going to have, I think it's three or four episodes just to themselves. And then you talk about Turkestan with Riskulov and 
Kobozev and then Ferenza enters, and I was like, oh, I can tell all in one episode, but no, the Mosburo needs its own episode. Uh, the um, Pokan Autonomy needs its own episode. The Mosburo needs its own episode. Ferenza's arrival needs its own episode. And then Ferenza, he attacks the Emirs, he attacks the Musmachi. I was like, okay, I can cover that in one episode. But it's like, no, the campaign against Kiva was kind of small, but the campaign against Bukhara was big. So we should probably put those in one episode. And then the Basmachi went on for a really long time. So they, they need a couple episodes. And so like every time I thought I had a handle of how many episodes I was doing, I would dig deeper and deeper. And then um, I realized I actually had like five episodes in my hand. So for the next season, having a stronger grasp of how many episodes I have and exactly how the topics are going to be split up and do it a little less exploratory, I think will make for a stronger season. The other lesson that I learned or I kind of knew this was an, this was going to be an issue with this podcast is my language skills are lacking. But I think I got a greater appreciation of like, not appreciation, I I was a little frustrated that because of my lack of language skills, like I can't speak, I'm learning Russian, but I'm not good at it. I haven't attempted to learn Uzbek yet or Kazakh yet. Um, I want to. I also want to learn Persian at some point. Um, but because I had these language barriers, I had to rely on translators to help me get a sense of who I was talking about. So, for example, in in last season, the Irish um, War for Independence, I was able to read Richard Mulcahy's letters as they were actually written, right? Like, it's not a translation it's they are excerpts but i was able to find some letters on my own online and like I, if i went to ireland i could actually go get those letters and i'd be able to read them but when i'm reading like chopin's letters or quotes from chopin it's really really third person because i don't have access to the letters um even if i had access to them i wouldn't be able to read them and then i have to rely on whatever author of the book I'm looking at, or the article I'm looking at, I have to rely on their translation. And so, for Adib Khalid, I had a lot of confidence in his translation, so I use a lot of quotes from his book because I trust how he's translated the letters, but there are a couple books I read that were written by white authors, and I was like, mm, I don't know if I can use these quotes. I don't know how accurate they are, right? Um, but what that does, for me at least, is I felt like I couldn't get a, a personal grasp on who some of these people were in my last season with the irish war of independence i spent a lot of time trying to understand okay what is colin's mindset at this moment what is uh de valera's mindset at this moment what is mulcahy's mindset what is lynch's mindset right i i don't know if readers and uh, listeners enjoyed it but i did spend a long time trying to be like okay why did they make this decision it doesn't really make sense what is going on here and I was able to go to the letters, I was able to um, read memoirs, I was able to get a strong sense of who they were, and try to use that information to determine or explain why someone made a decision that they made. But I really couldn't do that in Central Asia, because I don't have that first-hand or first-person perspective. And so when I'm trying to rack my mind around, like, to our risk log, I can only really go off of the information that I can find through sparse articles or whoever, whatever Abdi Khalid mentions, um, or even Faisal Zoje. I find him really interesting because there's a lot of decisions that he makes that 
could be read as cruel, could be read as ruthless, or, you know, is there another reason there? Um, some of his quotes that Abid Khalid includes in his book are really fascinating to me, but, like, I don't really have a strong sense of who he was. Um, for uh, Abdullah Fitrat, Chopin, Abdullah Tordiri, um, I have Abid Khalid's quote and book to work from, I have Hamid Ismailov's book, The Devil's Dance, to work from, I have Tordiri's book, Days Gone By, or Afghan Pular, I have some of Chopin's poetry, poems, and I have his book, Night. Um, but all of those books are translated for me. And so I feel a little bit more comfortable with the, with, with like Tordiri and Chopin, but not really. And so that was just more of like a disappointment for myself because I really try, for this podcast, I really want to center the voices of the people who are affected by the conflict. The one thing that I have just grown more and more impatient with in terms of histories is when you read a book about like the Afghan war, the U.S.-Afghan war, and it's written completely from the perspective of the military or the U.S. and the people who are affected by U.S. decisions are just there, right? I remember I read The Wars of Afghanistan by Peter Thompson, because it was recommended to me by one of my professors. Um, I read it a couple years ago, and I remember reading the intro and just being so annoyed because the intro was completely about how the U.S. policy was being shaped by Afghanistan and, and you know, what does Afghanistan mean for the U.S. and, and the Afghan people? It's just they're tribal and they're chaotic. And it was telling a story about how some minister was trying to escape Afghanistan, I think, during the Soviet-Afghan war, and he was like, murdered and it's like oh this is just typical of afghanistan it's always a, a war for the power and it just completely alienates and completely erases the indigenous people of afghanistan or the native people of afghanistan people who live in afghanistan um and so i never want when i was like okay i'm gonna create this podcast i'm not gonna do that i never want to erase the voices of the people who are affected and that's why even during the, my last podcast, The Irish War for Independence, I don't talk about the black and tans. I try not to quote from Britain's security forces. Um, I think the only time I quoted Lloyd George was during the treaty episode, because you need to understand its perspective to understand the treaty. But like, I'm not really interested in that as a historian, and I didn't want my podcast to be about that. If you wanted it the perspective, there are so many other podcasts and articles and books you can read about. And so for this um, season, I was kind of interested in the Russian perspective just because I have a lot of questions about how Russia handled Central and Russia itself was going through its own revolution and its own civil war. And so Russians were affected by the civil war. But I really wanted to highlight the voices of Central Asians and the people of Central Asia, which is why... Mikhail Frenza doesn't get his own biographical episode, even though technically I probably should have done one because he was pretty important to the region. He doesn't get an episode because I kind of don't care. <laughs> right? Like, again, there's like um, a YouTube, on YouTube, there's a documentary on Frenza you can watch easily. There's a whole bunch of papers written by the U.S. Army about Frenza's strategy in Central Asia. There's plenty of information about him in Central, about his role in Russia's anti-terrorist doctrine and how the Russians didn't use it during the Soviet-Afghan war. But, like, there are no biographical papers or documentaries about Ibrahim Bek or Madanim Bek. I haven't found an English-language 
documentary on Tavares for Love. There's um, a couple in Uzbek. That's how I figure out how to pronounce his name. And Kazakh. Um, and then there's Russian. The Russians did a couple episodes, actually, about the Jadids in Central Asia, which is kind of interesting. But there's not a lot of English sources about them. And so I'd rather talk about them and highlight them and to pe- introduce people to these historical figures. So yeah, so that was a little disappointment and something that I need to figure out what to do with other conflicts where English isn't the spoken language. And then the other thing I learned, or the other thing that was a challenge this season, was trying to respectfully deal with cultures that are not mine. I'm a white person in the United States, middle-class white person in the United States. I don't, I don't really know Christianity that well because my parents never bothered. I definitely don't know anything about Islam. Um, I don't know anything about Orthodox Christianity. As an American, I've learned more about what is wrong with communism than what was right with communism. And also, as an American, like what, what do you think the U.S. teaches its students about Central Asia? Right. There's so many biases and so many misconceptions that I have been that have been pounded into my head that talking about this region was a bit arrogant of me, a bit presumptuous, I feel. So I, so that was like something that I always had in mind and something that I tried to balance in all my episodes was, you know, I want to make it very clear that if something happened in Central Asia that was wrong or maybe doesn't match our concept of right, it, I always want to make it clear to caveat, like, it's not because of Islam, right? Just because this region is known of being Islamic, that's not why this happened. Or, like, it's not inherent to anyone's nature. Or, you know, when the communists made a bad, an interesting or questionable decision, I didn't necessarily want to, you know, be like, oh, communism is just evil and ineffective and blah, blah, blah. I really wanted to have more of a story of, like, this is a civil war. This is mass famine. This is a complete governmental system structure just failing. There have been multiple attempts to build a governmental structure. None of them are working. You know, we have warlords running around killing people and stealing things. We have the Red Army running around killing people and stealing things. There is no way any type of structure is going to be made that is both fair and democratic and whatever, right? Like, I really want to talk more about the situation and the circumstances affecting people as opposed to some inherent freaking personality trait because they don't worship Christianity, right? And so that was something I was really trying to um, be mindful of and something that I am going to be thinking about a lot and reflecting on as I take a step back from the podcast for my break as I go back to Ireland, because even though Ireland is not as much of a cultural shock as Central Asia is, I still have to be mindful and respectful. And so that's always been one of my goals. And it just felt even more important as I talked about Central Asia. And also, like, I think it's clear that I'm not fond of the Soviet Union. And I'm not fond of Putin. But I didn't necessarily want to be like, everything Russia does is wrong. And I wanted to be very mindful of that as well. And not turn this podcast into, like, a Russian bashing podcast. Because... Russia's doing a lot of questionable and terrible things. But also acknowledging that, like, I support Ukraine. I support Kazakhstan and Central Asia. I support nations having the right to be independent. And so there's definitely that bias that I think does come in. But at the same time, because I want to highlight Central Asia, 
I kind of accepted that because I would rather lift up decentralizations while talking about this conflict. I think the one time that I like purposely or like I was completely okay with my biases coming out is the last episode when talking about the murder of a Central Asian in Valencia because just in like my opinion there was nothing that justified that. Also nothing that justified the collectivization and the famine that followed and the genocides that followed. I'm not going to sugarcoat that or try to both sides that. There, there are certain things that you can't both sides and genocide and the entire murder of an entire generation of peoples not doing both sides. I'm not going to try and like excuse Russia for doing that. Um, the decision to try to force women's liberation on a group of people that you're really not engaging with. It's a complicated topic, but that I think was more important. I, I don't mind trying to understand, like talking a little bit about like well, this is really what the Soviets were trying to do. And this is really what the Soviets were trying to do. And then these were the poor women that were caught in the middle. Like, that, to me, is a much more complex pro uh, topic. And so I'm okay with getting deeper into, like, not blaming the Russians for just being pig-headed people who were just like, you're just seeing not wear the veil anymore. And I also think that by doing that, we realize that that conversation is much more complicated. But I'm not going to do that for the OG, the OGPU who just want to shoot someone to shoot someone. No. Ironically, I think maybe the biggest lesson I've learned from this season is that 30 minutes is a sweet spot for a podcast episode. And I say ironically because I'm pretty sure this episode is going to be more than 30 minutes. And the 50th episode was definitely longer than 30 minutes. Um, but trying to find that sweet spot of here's all this information at once because I'm really excited about learning this and I want to share it with you and it's like an hour of me rambling and then like a really constructed tightly written script 30 minutes like these are the five steps that the Bismachi took to defeat the to fight the Russians and these are the five steps that Ferenza put in place to defeat the Bismachi like that I think it may be more useful for listeners although the rambling episodes may be more fun for me and so something I definitely want to work on in the next season is creating episode templates for me so I can kind of have a pretty predictable structure that will keep me short but still providing the type of information you expect from my podcast. But don't worry, I'll still be a wheezy podcast that goes into topics far deeper than I probably should and there'll still be a lot of rambling. That's just the way I'm going to do. Overall, like I said, I really enjoyed the season. It was challenging in a good way. It's kind of weird because it was a very sad topic. Civil War is never, never fun, despite what Republicans may think. Civil War is never fun, and it's especially not fun when you combine it with combine it with the Soviet Union, and then you add Stalin to the mix, and it's just a nightmare. But I did enjoy talking about how. You know, I enjoy talking about the, the Central Asian Civil Wars. I enjoyed talking about the, diff the difficult relationships between the European communists and the Central Asian people. Um, like I said, I loved being introduced to a whole new region that is beautiful and has um, a very tragic history, but also a very fascinating history and beautiful literature and beautiful music. And I, I really am proud of how much I've grown this season. And I can't wait to take the lessons I, from season two 
and apply them to season three. And like I said, if you started listening to me because you were interested in Central Asia, do not fear. I will be returning. I have to return to Afghanistan because of the third Anglo-Afghan war. I have to return to the Xinjiang province because there's a lot that's happening there that's just fascinating. I do have to, I want to do an episode of Mongolia because I took a class on Mongolian literature and they had a similar independence movement in the 1920s as the Jadids and that's just really interesting. I have to return to the Trans-Caspian campaign and talk about Turkmenistan. Like I said, I'll probably come back and do special episodes about so the Central Asia during the Russian Civil War based on what research comes out and what's been translated into English. Um, and like Central Asia is ancient. There is so much history to cover. I can do the Russian um, colonial campaigns. I can do the civil wars against the different Khanates. Like there's so much to cover. I will definitely be talking about Central Asia for a very long time. If you follow me because you were interested in Ireland, season three will be the Irish Civil War. And again, there are a number of conflicts in Ireland that I can talk about once I'm done with the Irish Civil War. And if you're like, hey, this has been great, but I would like to talk about other conflicts, don't worry, I have like years, like decades worth of different topics and different uh, conflicts that I can talk about. Um, if there's something specifically you'd like me to talk about, either in my behind the epi- behind the scenes episodes or within the, the regular podcast itself, just let me know. Email me at um, aoawarfare at gmail.com. Message me on Twitter, aoawarfare. Message me on Instagram, again, aoawarfare. Join my Patreon. Message me on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash aoawarfare. Yeah, just reach out to me. I would love to hear feedback. I would love to hear what you would like me to talk about. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you um, want to listen to my full catalog, you can listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, and my website, www.samswarden.com. If you want to support my research and you want to support my next, epi- my next season, please join my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash aoawarfare. Just a reminder, I am taking a hiatus in May, but season three will be launched in June. So watch all my socials to get more information about that. Until next time, wear a mask organize your community, and stay safe.